Um, I'm sure, have we got, oh, my talk, have you got the vocation slide? That's it, lovely, there we are. Um, I'm sure it's not going to come as any news to any film buffs out here that Daniel Craig has finally hung up his Walter PPK for the last time. He's done his last stint as James Bond. Um, bit of a spoiler alert, but, uh, well, I don't know, I'll do it anyway. Uh, it's probably not much of a spoiler to tell you at the end of uh, No Time to Die that poor old James does in fact find just enough time to die at the end. So that's it for him. Imagine if you've not seen the film yet, you're probably not bothered to learn that, so I feel reasonably, reasonably safe in that knowledge. I could have the next slide, please. So what next then? Will the rather terrifying new female 007 know me? Will it take on and take the franchise forward into a, perhaps um, uh, a manner more palatable to 21st century tastes than perhaps James Bond was himself? Or could this be finally the time when I get the call? <laughs> That's right, when they ring me up and ask me to take on the Bond mantle. Being serious for a moment, I think it's unlikely that MGM are scrabbling around and are going to actually pick up the phone and ring me and say, do you want to take on the role of James Bond? But if they did, could I accept? Could a disciple of Jesus be an MI6 agent? Or even, could he pretend to be one in a film? Would God ever call a Christian such work? Unfortunately, probably due to the Official Secrets Act and a lot of other red tape and rules, it seems unlikely we're ever going to have a Christian James Bond or even a Christian, real-life Christian Nomi to ask, um, ask that question to say, actually, how do you square your calling to follow Jesus and your job here in MI6? I suspect as well, rather boringly, that such work involves quite a lot more sitting at a computer reading briefings than it does jetting off to Jamaica using extremely unlikely gadgets, fistfights and seduction. This evening we've been considering the whole idea of vocation. Well, some of us have been considering the idea of vacation as well, which is, which is a nice thing to consider. But most of us think about vocation, a calling from God to us in all the senses, as Nick was saying, every sense that might be. And the secular world, as we heard in quite a few of our interviews, and often generally in conversation, we mean vocation to, to think about a certain job or a career, hence the vocational course or vocational qualifications. But as people are called by God, we like to think about it in perhaps slightly wider terms. Uh, can I have the next slide, please? Uh, confession from me. Uh, I am, in fact, not an MI6 agent, though if I was, I couldn't tell you, I suppose. Um, I'm actually a doctor. Uh, and some careers, including many in healthcare and in education, are still considered, people consider them to be vocational sorts of jobs, something to which you're called. Um, I'm, in fact, an anaesthetist, which is it's a relatively young medical specialty, though but one that we as anaesthetists think has a very distinguished pedigree. Um, if you look back in the very first few chapters of the Bible itself, there in Genesis 2, it's written there for all to see. So the Lord God cause the man to fall into a deep sleep. Now, you can draw your own conclusions to who we think is the first ever anaesthetist. 
But as well as the jobs that we do, the word vocation also covers our free time, our relationships, uh, our relationships at home, relationships and dealings with friends and colleagues, and ways in which we serve one another. And I want to suggest that all of these things, even a calling like Roland's when he was suggesting a call to the ministry, all of those are actually secondary callings. But as Christians, before all of these, we have a number one primary calling, and that's a call to follow Jesus. And the Gospels are full of accounts of people being called by Jesus. And often these people seemed, at least to the religious elite who were there at the time, uh, to be the most unlikely and unsuitable people. Um, In the first reading that Sarah read for us, we saw about the calling of Levi. Here he was, sitting in his tax collector's booth, Uh, And then, bam, up comes Jesus. He simply says, follow me. Uh, And so he does. And the very next thing he does is throw a party. And he invites all his tax collector mates and all the other people that the Pharisees look down on. Should I have the next slide, please? So here he is. This is a a painting, in fact, called The Feast at Levi's House. You might notice that first century Palestine looks a lot like Renaissance Italy. But I I couldn't really find an original photo, I'm afraid. The Pharisees complain, and I actually liked um, Sarah's translation that she read, it conveyed it really well. They complain to Jesus, um, sort of saying, why are you eating with these people? Surely you should be dining with us. Um, and he replies to them like this, if you think that you're fine and healthy, as the Pharisees did, you're not going to go to the doctor and look for help. It's only actually when we realise our need for Jesus, and that's when we're able to answer his call. But because Levi, or Matthew, as he's usually known after this incident, he leaves his tax collector's booth and becomes one of Jesus' disciples, sometimes it's tempting to think that the really important call, the one, the preeminent call that we might then receive, is being called into full-time church ministry. And of course, that does apply to some people, as we heard from Roland, and obviously we see amongst church leaders amongst us who serve us, I want to say that's still a secondary call. It's still secondary to that original call to follow Jesus in all parts of our lives. The primary call is to follow Jesus. And when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he he doesn't say, right, everyone, it's great. You're Christians now, so leave your jobs, your disciples, everyone come and work in the church. He doesn't say that, which is probably just as well. Um, No, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you are serving. And when the crowds came to see John the Baptist, um, seeking repentance and baptism, he doesn't tell them to change their jobs and give up their careers that they were doing up to that point, but to change the way in which they did them. So the tax collectors, he said, well, Don't cheat people, only collect what's due. Soldiers came to him. He says, well, don't abuse your power. Don't extort money from people. James goes even further in his letter. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers in a church setting because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So our secondary callings, all of these secondary callings we think about, involve more than our jobs or what career we might do. They include how we do our work, how we relate to other people how we use our time and our resources. But all of that is because of that primary calling to be a disciple of Jesus. 
And the Bible gives us a really nice, rich um, variety of examples to inspire and encourage us, whatever it is that we do, or where, what we find ourselves, where the place in which we find ourselves. You've got nomadic herdsmen back in the early parts of Genesis through farmers, soldiers. You've got politicians, priests. There's some really nice faithful examples of polite assertiveness in the secular workplace. And I worked with Daniel, and Daniel didn't choose that workplace, and yet he found himself thriving and excelling in it. Wealthy businesswomen like Lydia, who used her resources to support that fledging church. And the very poor who stayed faithful to God throughout great testing. Do you work in construction? Project management? Nehemiah and his team are there for you. Full-time parent or someone with full-time caring responsibilities? We've got people like Jesus' own family and, and the friends of the paralytic man who can be an inspiration. Even students and people in full-time education aren't forgotten. Down in the writer of Ecclesiastes, he sympathizes with you all and says, of making many books there is no end and much study wearies the body. So you can console yourselves with that thought. Earlier this month, we were looking at Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Uh, and the last time I gave a little talk here, we were looking at chapter 5, where Paul exhorted the church to live by, his, by God's Spirit and so bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And I observed then how much that the world acknowledges and recognises the fundamental goodness of these spiritual fruits. Go for the last slide, please. In our second reading that Reuben brought to us, Jesus was there talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. And down in verses 16 and 17 of, of chapter 15 in John's Gospel, he says this, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so you may love one another. So there's a few things to notice in that. The disciples didn't choose Jesus, he chose them. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you, I called you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. When we answer Jesus' call, follow him, the things that we do can then take on eternal significance not just temporary worldly significance so much of the world's career and financial advice appears to be store up for yourselves treasures on earth that's what you really need to be doing but Jesus counters that when our primary calling becomes chasing worldly gain financial reward or ever increasing amounts of personal comfort we can miss out on that chance to bear fruit and be fruitful. Bear fruit that will last. But by putting our primary calling, our calling to follow Jesus first, in its rightful first place, it helps us find all those other secondary callings that we're thinking about and thinking about in the interviews. Where to, spend our, where to live, who to spend our lives with, which jobs to do, how to spend our time and our money. It includes all of those. We're considering elsewhere in this service how we might hear those specific callings from God. More, thankfully, no more knock-knock jokes. But, but instead, things like immersing ourselves in God's word, taking the counsel of other disciples and friends and the church around us, and prayerfully considering, actually, 
our God-given talents and abilities and asking him how we should use those to be most fruitful. It's by following our primary calling, again, that calling calling to follow Jesus, that we can be relieved of some of the anxieties about the future and also some of the regrets we might have about the past. I once had a friend who, at the time we were doing A-levels, and uh, she was choosing what to study and where to go, but was racked with doubt and anxiety. I really want to study history at Exeter University but I'm worried if I accept the place that they've already offered me that somehow I'll miss out on what God really wants me to do. I said, really? Can you follow Jesus there and bear fruit for him? Then don't worry about it. You can still follow your primary calling. Similarly, as as life passes, it can be easy to be beset by regrets of what might have been. If only I'd married so-and-so, or perhaps... More seriously, if only I hadn't married so-and-so, I could be working as a teacher in Chiang Mai right now, or or whatever it might be. It can be tempting to think we somehow have missed out on uh, our, our vocation, as if Christ can't call us anew into what he wants us to do. But thankfully, God calls us to himself, rather than onto a map and to a specific place. You've got to come here, otherwise you've missed it. There may be key moments where we really hear God's voice calling to us specifically, urgently and specifically. But even if we didn't respond then, we've not missed out on plan A. Remember the the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He runs out, God runs out to meet us when we're still far off. You can follow, choose to follow Jesus here and now. He's chosen you to bear fruit, fruit that will last And choosing one thing, admitted it can close the door to other things, but actually by following our primary calling to follow Jesus, all our decisions can be brought under him.